Bless you, Peter. My name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. Thanks for being alive and sober, son. Yeah. I'm part of the sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, <clears throat> what a surprise. Um, <laughs> I guess, you know, before we get going with the 12 step tonight uh, and carrying this message and practicing these principles and all our affairs. Um, I need to talk about what just happened. I had no idea anyone was going to do something like this. Uh, I, I share a story. Uh, my first anniversary, it was 1989. My sponsor called me up. I said hello. He said just another day and hung up the phone <laughs> for my first year. And so I try to keep it in perspective. Uh, and what Jerry said is right. Uh, this just is that AA and God works. Um, but I need to take a moment to thank everyone. Um, even Eddie Muno showed up at a meeting. Jesus. Um, I'm a little stuck for words. Um, it means a lot to me. Um, this area is relatively new for Marion and I, and working at uh, the place we work at a year uh, was last Friday. So it's kind of like we've been down here a lot, but it's kind of new territory, and uh, th this was just very, very uh, kind. Um, and I'm really touched by it. I'm not good at situations like this, other than to tell you uh, it took a lot not to cry just now. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank you. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's a long way from uh, uh, living in an abandoned building to this. Um, it, it's pretty cool. I, we, you know, we got Billy's here, um, Jeff from Tampa, Dave from Boca. <laughs> you know, like the heads of the five families I get. <laughs> so, uh, oh, and Danny and Susan from uh, Stewart. I mean, this was like a major sit-down that's happening. <laughs> They called in for a little discussion. Um, <laughs> no matter what I do, it always reverts back to the Godfather. No <laughs> um, so June 23rd, 1988, I get sober. And uh, not by my power, as it is tonight, not by my power. Um, but I was given a gift of desperation. And... Um, only through desperation that I hang on a day at a time because I, I felt like I was hanging on at the beginning a day at a time. It was, it was rough um, between the, the, just a nasty detox and the remorse of what I had done again, uh, wondering is it ever going to work this time. And my, the voice in my head was telling me, who are you kidding? Um, my middle brother wanted nothing to do with me. My youngest brother was heartbroken because he, I was his idol. And uh, my dad was, you know, um, taking care of me because I was his son. Uh, I think if I was a stranger, he would have disowned me. And my family was totally splinted um, because they knew I was going to get out of treatment and do it again anyway. And quite frankly, there was a part of me that knew this was a waste of time. As much as I wanted to stay sober, I just couldn't see myself doing a sober life because I didn't have those kind of tools. 
So it was difficult, uh, like a lot of us. I'm not unique in that, in that situation. It, it was difficult. When I work with clients now and they're having tough days, it's welcome to the NFL. There's going to be more days ahead. Um, there's, a, there's something that, that sticks close to me, and I, it's hard for me to remember because it's different kind of language, but it's so true, how we uh, understand life backwards, but we live it forwards. Um, you look back on things, and I understand why that happened, and I understand why this happened, and I see how come God took me this way and God took me that way, but we live it forward. And, um, you know, looking back on that stuff, there were so many times of indecision uh, that it, decisions were made for me by caring people who ordered me to go left or ordered me to go right because I, I couldn't see ahead. They could. And um, it's only by that kind of teaching and my desire, my desperate desire not to screw up again that has me here tonight. I jokingly said last week I can't believe I stuck around this long uh, because sobriety, you know, there's been money and flat broke. There's been marriage and divorce. There's been good health and a couple of health scares. There's been burying a whole bunch of people. There's been tons of uncertainty, tons of doubt, lots of sleepless nights. Um, even looking at career, wondering if I'm in the right career. Should I be doing this any longer because it's killing me on certain days? There's a lot of that. There's also, um, along with that, uh, joys that I can't even describe. And, and moments like... 10 minutes ago that you hold on to for the rest of your life. If I live to be, you know, 40 years sober one day, I'm going to remember that 29th birthday when I walked into this place. Hey, remember that time? You know, um, incredible moments. Um, I get to travel um, as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in good standing. Um, get invite invitations to speak around the globe, which is, uh, you know, from an abandoned building. Um, speaking at Gopher State with almost 8,000 people or doing a local meeting with 10 people. Uh, I'm asked to do those things. Uh, the whole thing doesn't make sense. You put your head on a pillow and say, how did, you know, how did I get here? Uh, and it isn't how I get here like I'm sitting in the jail cell again. It's how I get here um, in the center of all of this thing. And I use the word sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. That's not to sound corny or look how grateful I am. I really mean that, the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And again, as Jerry said, to take a wretch like me, because I was, uh, and put me back together. Uh, put someone like Marion in my path, which I don't deserve, or, and friends, uh, which I really don't deserve based on my past, but God sees better than that. And uh, so it's, uh, it's incredible. I, you know, my job now is to saddle up and keep riding and, and, and hopefully stay healthy and get to year 30 and so on and be there for a newcomer. Um, that's the primary purpose, huh? Uh, stay sober, help another alcohol achieve sobriety and stand at the door, as Sand Shoemaker said, and wait for another one to come in, which is kind of is a great segue for what we're doing tonight with Step 12. Uh, Danny and Susan, I remember met Danny at a, at a retreat in somewhere in Massachusetts. I think it was Massachusetts, you know. <laughs> And uh, this men's retreat, and Danny stalked me for the entire weekend. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that was going to blossom into that like, he's like a brother to me, and his wife is like a dear friend. But, you know, it's like you see Danny, my, my eyes light up. Um, I didn't know that back then. So you live it forward, understand it backwards. So it, it's been like that. Um, there's so many things been done uh, for me, and I mean for me. Where I had no, I didn't have my hands in the middle of it. 
in Alcoholics Anonymous that if I would have had my hands in the middle of it, I would have, it wouldn't have turned out as good. I would have soiled it. I mean, I, I, I go on a speaking commitment. I'm, uh, I'm sponsoring a guy, Tim G., in Bellingham, Washington, and I go on a speaking commitment. They invite me to speak for the group anniversary, so I go out there and speak. My life is one of inv invitation. I've never been there before. I get out there, and I, and I meet someone, and here we are engaged a few years later. That wasn't the plan. I didn't see that coming. Um, you know, it, it's things like that. And it's because people carry the message to me, and my job now is I'm responsible to pass the message on. And uh, the spiritual life is, I, I think the proper word for it uh, is, I think if I'm saying this, it's serendipitous, where you do this and that happens. You know, and, and that's been the journey. You go speak and you meet someone um, who's sober a really long time, and a sponsor is one of my idols. To go, go figure. You can't plan stuff like that. Um, you know, you go to a meeting that you never go to before, and there's someone sitting there that you own amends to. Or there's a new guy just get out of treatment. You were never going there. I sponsor a guy now, uh, Freddie M. from from New Jersey. Um, I was coming around. He had five years. He goes on like a 15-year drunk. Um, they're trying to get me to speak at a meeting in Seaside Heights, New Jersey. I'm looking at the calendar. I'm out of town. I'm out of town. I'm out of town. And I got like three weekends open. And I said, I don't know. Um, give me this date. So I go speak. I'm going to the podium with a cup of coffee, and who's sitting there? This guy, Freddie. He never goes to that meeting. He decided to go on that night. I said, don't you move. Stay right there when this meeting's over. Don't leave. He was just coming back. He said, I never come to this meeting. In fact, he didn't even recognize me at first. A week later, I'm sponsoring him. It's things like this that happen in God's world that is always right and perfect. So... Um, you know, i, I got to reiterate, I mean, I'll hold on to this. Um, this was special for me. So thank you. Singing lesson starting tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Even you were off key. <laughs> okay. So, uh, <clears throat> what do we do with all this information we've gotten? What do we do with this tremendous transformation we've experienced? And in step 12, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these 12 steps. What do we do with that? We take this to another alcoholic, and then we practice the principles in our homes, occupations, and affairs, as the big book says, in all our affairs. Try to carry this message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And the tendency, as I would do at the beginning, was the alcoholic still suffers, meaning brand new. It doesn't say that. It says the alcoholic who still suffers might have 20 years. So my job is to be passing the message on wherever I am. Even if I'm in a public store like, like Publix or, uh, you know, a music store or wherever I'm going, a doctor's office, um, I'm supposed to be practicing principles in that affair as well. Because I don't know who's going to be reading the only copy of the big book they might see that day. So it's about, you know, I need to be in this all the time. 
um, rather than, you know, I'm at a doctor's office or in Publix and, I, and I, 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 I blow a gasket over something and I see that person at a meeting that night. I got a lot of covering up to do. You know. So it's, it's about practicing these principles in all our affairs, and, uh, you know, we hope we have more principles than affairs in our life, um, <laughs> that I'm really in the middle of this and really practicing fidelity to God. I speak for myself, and uh, when I'm practicing fidelity to God and I'm immersed in God and I'm practicing oneness with God, I'm in line with God, somehow taking these principles into all our affairs is a heck of a lot easier. We're going to make mistakes. I make a ton. But I don't have to remember to do that. It becomes who we be now as the result of this work, especially when we've cleaned up the wreckage of our past in step nine. We've entered the world of the spirit. We're growing in understanding and effectiveness. Now we go past the sign and we give the entire thing away for fun and for free. The whole thing away. And we'll spend hours working with the drunk, maybe nursing a drunk through the night, cleaning up a drunk on a 12-step call. And I literally mean cleaning up a drunk, you know, throwing him in the shower maybe, cleaning him up, getting him out of the soil clothes or out of a soil bed. Sometimes it's just picking up a drunk from their house and they're ready to go. But very often what has happened to me over the years is, is you know, getting into a mess. It's, it's ugly. And putting them in your car and taking them to a detox to get stabilized, and sometimes taking a drunk to a meeting. Now, I, I don't hear too much, and Billy would remember this, of having a pint in your trunk and, uh, you know, giving a, a, a drunk a couple of drinks to get into the meeting and tell them you got some when we're out, and they'll sit through the meeting, give them a couple of shots and take them home, a couple of shots, put them to bed, and do it again and trying to wean him off because there was no money, no insurance, no nothing to get him to a treatment center or a detox. We don't hear too much of that anymore, but uh, I, I got to experience that when I first came into AA, and I, I thought it was blasphemy when my sponsor went into his trunk for a pint. We had to take this guy, uh, you know, to a meeting. Um, he was, we got him out of his house. He was full of what looked like, uh, it looked like a bad case of psoriasis, but it wasn't. I don't know what he had going on. His skin was just infected with all of this stuff, and we had to clean him up and, and took him to the Free Spirit Group and gave him a couple of shots on the way home. Uh, this guy, Big Vinny, took him home and uh, a couple of, couple of shots and got a home couple of shots into bed. And when I say shots, I don't mean shots. I mean shots, like, you know. Uh, a couple of pops off the pint um, to get the guy, you know, uh, weaned off. And it was dangerous territory. But that's what you did. Uh, very often, um, and no fault of many people, you know, treatment centers took the 12-step call away from us, but uh, to some degree. But, um, you know, some new folks won't get to experience doing that stuff. You know, the 12-step call, what is that? <coughs> Given the big book and taken through the steps. No, I'm talking about the down and dirty 12-step call. Going into a hotel room, going into the apartment. You know, um, I went. I was in one in Boca when I first got down here. I finished the talk and they asked me to go. My plans would go out to eat. And I said, well, forget that. And um, I'm sitting in this really nice house in Boca Raton. Really, you know, one of these exquisite homes. But inside was a drunken house. And uh, four of us were there. And this guy was going to beat up his wife. He chased her in the kitchen for bringing us there. And we had to get in the middle of that. So you get that sometimes. And we couldn't get him out of the house. And we were praying that he didn't beat her up when we left. They're ugly. But that's what we do. Who else is going to do it? The cops will arrest you. Your therapist is not coming to get you. 
<laughs> and the treatment center is not coming to get you unless you have insurance or money. The drunks will come get you and take you to treatment. That's not a knock on treatment centers or therapists. It's just very real. Let's let's talk reality here. And so uh, that's what we do. And God has given us that kind of favor. You know, um, the carpenter was the doctor of the day, if you will. And he hung out in the hood. He wasn't in palaces where everyone's doing groove. He was with folks like us and administered to folks like us. And so God put this thing called Alcoholics Anonymous together. We had something called the Washingtonians uh, that fell apart because they didn't, got involved in outside issues. They didn't have steps. They didn't have traditions. But I think Michael might know they're about 100,000 strong or so, maybe, maybe larger than that. And uh, they fell apart. Bill learned from them. We had the Oxford group, which was the, uh, the precursor to Alcoholics Anonymous. But they weren't for alcoholics. They were folks who were looking to change their life, fundamentally change their life on this, this religious movement. And they took us in. But you know how we are. We like to spit and curse and smoke cigarettes, and they weren't into that. <laughs> but we needed a drunk to talk to, and there was few and far between. Dr. Bob was a member. Bill went. Ebby went. That's how Ebby got Bill, because part of the thing was passing a message on. And the first guy to break away from that was uh, Clarence Snyder, who started the first AA meeting uh, in his area and was almost beat up by some of the Oxford group guys for like, what are you doing? You're splitting the group up. But he stood his ground. I'd love to have met him. And uh, he started sponsorship, formal sponsorship as we know it nowadays, because what was happening, AA was getting letters and, uh, and cards about what is this cure? We need help. And we couldn't handle the amount of people that were coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. So how do you, how do you help these people? And Clarence Snyder started what we pretty much know as big book sponsorship now. Taking a guy methodically or a woman methodically to the book. He's a giant in Alcoholics Anonymous. Dr. Bob was one of the guys, my lineage, who was about revisiting the work. You know, Paul, uh, uh, <coughs> I'm forgetting the gentleman's name now. Paul Martin, uh, I spoke to him a bunch of years ago. I was living in Jersey about this idea of reworking the steps because I was doing that and catching an awful lot of resistance from my home group members in New Jersey. And he explained to me what that was about, why we, we reworked the steps. And what he said to me in a nutshell was, the stories in the book um, don't share what happened to some of those members after about five years sober, that they got full of fear, the bedevilments they were experiencing. And they didn't know what to do. And Paul Martin was one of them. And he says, I had a young fellow coming to my, to my house to do a fifth step. And he had this idea of writing inventory and sharing it with the prospect. And that's just what he did. He kind of went, did inventory six, seven, eight, nine again, so some new amends. And he realized something had happened to him, that there was something about revisiting the work. Now you have some folks who will not even entertain that. That's, that's fine. And so that's what we began. So this whole thing of sponsorship and taking someone through the work, uh, um, through the big book, and doing other things along with, and you'll see those folks with long-term sobriety, and not only just sober, but in the world of the spirit, joyous, happy, and free, and not getting caught up in the worldly things as much as some other folks. 
doesn't make us better than or less than. It's just a different beat. It's a different culture, if you will, all under the sacred umbrella of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, so it's just working with others. And when we look at the 12th step, it doesn't talk about having had a spiritual awakening in the big book, working with others, because you've had it. Step 10 says we've entered the world of the spirit. You've been awakened. My job is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. 10 and 11 is about enhancing the whole experience to stay spiritually fit and maybe annually go through 1, 2, 3, 4, through 9, 10, 11, and 12 to kill off self, to, to see what's uh, lurking, the, any hidden motives underneath there, resentments I'm not sure about, maybe new amends, but to continually flush out and to really <laughs> transcend this and truly wear the world like a loose garment. Why? To be of maximum service to God, truly maximum service to God, to pack into the stream of life, as our book says, not to sit on the sidelines and watch life go by because I'm too afraid to get involved. And I'm not talking about standing on, you know, uh, the table with a lampshade over your head and being alive. That's, that's not me, never will be. But to pack into the stream. Be right in the middle of it. And have a host of friends that you never saw coming. But for, not, And I'm not talking about acquaintances, friends. I can call Danny, God forbid, at maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, do a trust to call. Danny would drive from Stewart to Fort Lauderdale come meet me. Or if I was in trouble, or if Danny was in trouble, we'd, we'd be there for each other. He showed Billy the same thing. You know, there's a few other people in this room. I didn't have people like that when I was out on the street. I had animals like me that I ran with. You know, I'm your best friend. I love you. You love me. One drink, it's mine. I'm not going to steal it from you. <laughs> you know, for the little dolphins in here, I love. I work in treatment. I see we get this camaraderie, which is great in treatment. We're together, me and you against the therapist. We're gonna overturn the place, Attica, Attica, right? We're gonna do it. And uh, and I tell her, if I drop one bag of dope between the two of you, you'll kill each other for a bag of dope. So yeah, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> So it says practical experience shows that nothing will so much, watch this, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. Bill is beautiful when he writes. Immunity from drinking. I'm let off the hook. But the condition is intensive work with other alcoholics, which means it's not where here's my number, give me a call, and we'll chit-chat over the phone. That's very nice. It's sponsorship, in, and we have different influences on how we sponsor. I've done line-by-line. Line. I'm not a line-by-line line guy. None of my lineages. But I sit down with the book and take people to the book. I'm more of a bullet guy. Take out a paragraph, break it down, considerations, go home. Do the work on this, come back. That kind of thing. Done in an afternoon. Could be done in a couple of days. Could be done in a week. Another influence is line by line. But that's intensive work. You're going to have times to call me, days to meet me. You're going to show up with the inventory. You're going to show up with your step work. We're going to talk about life and considerations with the book and steps and you and on and on and on. You're going to walk with integrity in Alcoholics Anonymous. You're going to bring integrity to Alcoholics Anonymous. You're going to go to a podium dressed like a gentleman. You're going to show up at a meeting dressed like a gentleman. This is intensive work. It's not the steps primarily, but there's, there's something that rounds that out. <laughs> no. That's intensive work with other alcohol. They become my responsibility now. God has given me that. And are we inconvenienced at times? Absolutely. 
Do we want to take that call sometimes? No. But you pick up the phone. People tell me, just turn your phone off. I can't. I can't. For two reasons. If there's a family emergency, suddenly I'm not available because I'm tired. And if there's a drunk emergency, suddenly I'm not available because I am tired. No one's in AA has ever been tired for me. Nor has my family. So my phone stays on. But sometimes the phone feels like I, I can't. Another call, I'm just going to explode. You pick up the phone. Because that's what they did for me. Intensive work with other alcoholics ensures immunity from drinking. It doesn't say treatment centers or my therapist or even my priest, rabbi, or pastor. It says intensive work with other alcoholics. Because by now, I've been immersed in godliness. And in order to keep that, i got to give the whole thing away. Have you noticed enlightened people during our time have always been somewhere giving a talk to many and ministering to others? Martin Luther King, they shot him. Jesus, they crucified him. Gandhi, they shot him. Because we were a threat. But they were always talking. Mother Teresa, always in the middle of it, talking to people. Passing on hope. Well, that's what we do here. And they never were too tired for anyone. Ever. If you study, read about Mother Teresa, she was in it. The most poverty-stricken place probably on the planet she was in it and she wasn't well received and also experienced dark night of the soul for a long time and she stood the course huh? so that's what we do uh, it works when other activities fail this is our 12 suggestion carry this message to other alcoholics what is this message in the basic text in the third edition it says, the old blue and white covers, if you flip it open, right on the little fly page, it says, but the basic text, pages 1 to 164, have remained unchanged. This is the AA message. That's the message I'm responsible for passing on, and my home group is responsible for passing on. And if I'm not doing that, shame on me. And if the group is not doing that, we should do a group inventory. Now, that'll catch a lot of resistance at middle-of-the-road meetings. I get it. We don't drink and go to meetings crew. That's wonderful. God bless you. But don't say you're carrying on, the, you're passing on the message. You might be passing on the mess. That might work for some folks. I'm a real alcoholic. I, 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 I'm not good, and I'm so blessed that from the get-go when I landed in Minnesota, I was met with these type of people. Because if I was met with some other way, some other way to approach this, like don't drink and go to meetings, uh, get hobbies, make coffee, you probably have a different speaker here tonight because I would have never survived. But they said, this is the way out of this. Huh? And it all points to having a relationship with God. <clears throat> Assuming we want to do that walk. Assuming we're done and we're out of road. It says life will take uh, on, I'm sorry, it says you can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember they're very ill. Life will take on new meaning, promises, to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience, experience you must not miss. 
We know you will not want to miss it. And frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our life. Is it the bright spot of my life when I sit down with someone who's done and wants to get well? Absolutely. If it isn't, how come? I've sat with lots of folks who I knew they were with me because my name is Peter M. I knew they weren't done. Two weeks out of the gate, they're missing appointments. That's grueling to work with someone like that because you're doing it more for them than they are. We're talking about when you get the drunk in front of you who really wants to get well, and especially the ones who are clueless, who haven't, well, I had five years, so let me tell you how to do this. You know. But you got three days now, so stop it. <laughs> um, the ones who are beat up and are just willing to do whatever you tell them to do, they're easy to work with. They're fun to work with because those are the cats in about 90 days of sponsoring people. And they're just grateful to be inside of an AA meeting. I'll, I'll make coffee. I got it. They're there an hour early and stay an hour late. Nowhere else to go. That's how I was. My book tells me that we're uniquely useful to other alcoholics because of our drinking experience. We know. When someone's got 10 days and they're romancing a, a double vodka, we get it. When you come in here and say, you know, my life is torn apart and I'm flat broke. I've lost every job I had because of booze. We get it. When someone says, I had two years and just went out and got drunk, I don't understand what happened. We do. Others won't. We get it. The other thing I've learned is we also, because people did this with me, they know how afraid I am. How just totally immersed in fear I am when I'm new. I'll front like I'm not. I'm dying. I'm so afraid of being around crowds, walking into a meeting, going shopping on my own. Just anything. I'm just afraid. Just to say hello to the opposite sex. I mean, how do you even do, go out on a date? Forget it. It's not happening. I don't know how to do this. I'm just afraid. We know. Because we were afraid too. It says, when you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. If he doesn't want to stop drinking, don't waste time to persuade him. You may spoil a later opportunity. On page 96, it says this. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough, desperate enough. They've been met with the gift of desperation. They'll do anything you ask them to accept with eagerness what you offer. Bill's beautiful when he writes. Okay, I'll do it. Can you have this assignment done? Do your first column. Uh, do your master list. Complete your second column by tomorrow. They call you. I'm done. What's next? And you know they're not blowing through it. They know their life depends on getting this work done. I want to see you at that meeting tomorrow. I'll be there. They're there. So search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough with, to accept with eagerness what you offer. We find it, watch this, a waste of time to keep chasing a man or woman who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny another drunk an opportunity to live and be happy. I've had a few of them. There was a young fellow back in Brooklyn 
uh, one of the young guys who were coming in early 90s who was purely alcohol. Most of them were coming in with crack and other stuff. Purely, purely alcohol. And um, we tried, I mean, he was like my kid brother. He just wouldn't get this. And my sponsor, you got to let him go. It killed me to do that. We would we would circling the wagons and dragging him to AA, and he'd go get drunk, disappear for a week, and he just didn't want this way of life. It hurt like a son of a gun. But my sponsor said, "What about the three other guys you're sponsoring? You're not paying attention to them, and they're here." That's the heartbreaking part of alcoholism, and some of them never return. So suppose you're making your second visit to this person, and they read this volume. So what volume are they talking about? And I caught some heat for this. Because usually, depending on the situation, I was really hard lying when I first came around. Now it's kind of depending on the drunk. Have them read the first portion of the big book before I sponsor them. That meant the preface to page 164. Now my book says, he has read this volume and is prepared to go through the 12 steps. What The book is broken into two, two parts. The program and the stories. This volume is the program. Later on, it's going to say on your second visit, uh, he's read the, uh, in, right here rather, he's read this and prepared to go through the work. So when I gave a drunk, here's a big book, read from the preface to 164, I'm following what the book told me to do. And I've caught a, a huge amount of heat for that. But that's what the book says to do. You don't have to do that. And trust me, if a guy has, you know, two days in rocking and rolling, I'm not going to give him that assignment because he may not make it through the night. The last gentleman crossed my path out like that was um, we were at JC's. We were having a Fourth of July or Thanksgiving something. And he says, Peter, I've seen him around. Can I talk to you? And I knew the guy was just coming back. And he had, I think, four days or something like this. And I took him into my office. And I opened up the book and we began. And I start talking about step one. And he was, was going to be a line-by-line line guy that night because he had no clue what he suffered from. So I start breaking down doctor's opinion, told him to do some things. Given him the first portion that night, he would have never made it. It says, having had the experience, the spiritual experience myself, I can give this drunk much practical advice. So if I haven't had the experience, I can't give him any practical advice. I'm just passing on stuff I heard in a meeting, an opinion without experience. It's really key. Remember back in step five, they're talking about his life and death, Aaron. So God has given us, his kids, as he's given us to others, to help save their life. And all I have to offer, I don't mean me, but some, bless their hearts, is don't drink and go to meetings. That's it. And I have a big prescription right here on how to pull this man or this woman out of the gates of hell. The grip of hell is really what it is. Right? And that's why there are hundreds of, I don't know how the number is now, but at least a few hundred fellowships have been born out of Alcoholics Anonymous because it, it works. It is the way out. It is the solution. Danny shared a story a few weeks ago at his anniversary. How many years did you make? Four years, a few weeks ago. 
that he heard a message that he never heard before and the light went on and he got out. That's our responsibility. And if we ruffle feathers, so be it. My second sponsor, Mark H., the first time I heard him, he ruffled more than feathers on me. I didn't like it. And I was in the book. I thought he was arrogant, pompous, self-righteous, a know-it-all, and it went on and on and on. And I put the tape back in the tape deck again. And he got me more annoyed and went back in again. And somewhere in there, I fell in love with him and the message. In fact, there was a time where he came to Staten Island, New York, to speak. And I actually challenged him in sharing with this information. <laughs> about going through the work once a year. And he just, he didn't push back. He, okay. And they became my sponsor and completely turned my life upside down. Challenged every belief system. That's intensive work with other alcoholics. It says it's not a matter of giving that as in question, but when and how to give. That often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcohol commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his cell phone is given to him. <laughs> until his material needs are, are, are met. Uh, nonsense. Some of us taking very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon uh, people ahead of dependence upon God. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, well regardless of anyone. Last thing, and I'm just going to share some experience before we run out of time. It says this, in our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield a sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. If the alcohol tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. methods. These attempts do not uh, do the these attempts to do the impossible have always failed. So trying to get a drunk and keep him away from uh, uh, people, places, and things is, is, is a good idea, but it's not realistic. And I think last week we talked about protecting ourselves from defects of character. That's one thing. But doesn't mean I'm protecting myself from the burglar on the front lawn doesn't mean he's left. But if I can get healed or rid myself of that problem, the problem is now removed. So we can hide out a drunken treatment and keep them away from certain places, but when they get out of treatment, what do they do? They have to live life out there. I'm not talking about hanging out in a drug den or going into a bar, but you can walk into a, a wedding, a bar mitzvah, a christening, and people are getting drunk. A business office party, people are getting drunk. What do you do then? Not go? Can't go to a wedding when your son is getting... I heard this. An old timer in, in Sheepshead Bay, my son's getting married, but I don't know if I should go to a wedding. I don't know what to do about the toast. We're 30 plus years sober. What? 
But if we get spiritually fit, we can go anywhere as long as we have a good reason to be there. In this chapter, it also talks about uh, not hiding God from the drunk either. Talking about the spiritual peace freely to the drunk and outlining what we had to do as Bill and Bob did with Bill Dotson in the hospital bed, which I think we talked about, I don't know if we talked about that last week, where Bill and Bob pay a call on Bill Dotson laying in a hospital bed in a detox bed, maybe a day or two, sober, probably going through post-acute. And they tell him their story for about an hour, so he says identifies with them. And they talk about the body, the mind, the spiritual answer, and the prog- and how to get the spiritual answer while the guy's laying in a detox bed. They didn't wait for 90 days. And three days later, he told, he told his wife, fetch my clothes, I'm leaving. He wasn't an AMA. He had something happen to him and never drank again. Bill Dotson. That's what I'm responsible for. I am responsible so when I got sober, uh, I was brought to the Free Spirit Group, my first home group. And when I got sober out in uh, Minnesota, people took me to meetings. Um, when I was in sober living, halfway house, um, people would come get me and take me to a meeting and showed me the solution to what I was suffering from. And when I would go, to, they would take me to a diner and I was flat broke. They would buy me dinner at the diner. Um, again, Billy would remember those days, uh, uh, taking the newcomer and the, the meeting in the diner afterwards. But um, because of those folks, uh, I learned how to do a 12-step call. And because of those folks, whether they were in the big book or not, I learned how to be a gentleman um, in my family and take these principles into my home's occupations and affairs. And many of those men showed me how to be a gentleman around women that I wasn't to play with the woman in Alcoholics Anonymous because they need a safe place to go to. And they, they, they were clear about that. This wasn't a place to get a date. This wasn't a place to, you know, find company for the night. This was church and treated with that kind of integrity, especially when you knew. And um, my family was riddled with alcoholism, and I'm the only drunk in the family. Mom was long gone by the time I got sober. And uh, my dad and my grandparents were battling. My grandfather, you know, was always in my corner that I'm just mixed up. He's a good kid. He didn't know how mixed up I was. And uh, (laughs) my dad wanted to just disown me or kill me. There was a day where um, what addiction does to families, okay, I had made a phone call. I was on the Lower East Side. I don't know what time in the morning it was, but it was after midnight. And um, I had called my brother's house accidentally, and his wife picked up. And she kept talking to me. I vaguely remember this, and she must have been motioning to my brother, your brother's in trouble. Anyway, about an hour passed, and a big black Cadillac drives up. It's my youngest brother, Sonny, my middle brother, John, and two other maniacs in the car and my brother my youngest brother got out of a car and pulled a pistol out of his belt and he says after cursing he says before the drug dealers kill you I will do it and go to jail rather than have them do it that's where I brought my family to 
because he was a, very much a street guy, and in the street code, that was an honorable thing to do. And he was willing to go to jail for that. And his other friend got in the middle of that and kind of simmered my brother down. And uh, they put me in the car and took me back to Staten Island to my dad's house. It was a long ride back to Staten Island. <laughs> I'd been arrested and they gave me, the cops gave me an easier time than what I experienced in the car. But secretly, I knew they were right. Because I was an animal. And uh, so when I get sober, it wasn't about me infringing upon them for stuff. It wasn't about me being uh, no longer uh, you know, still unaccountable. It was about showing up for the things I didn't want to show up for, but being there, even till this day. It's about taking these principles and my home occupations and affairs because my family kept me alive long enough to get to you. And so what has happened as a result of this is uh, my brothers got into Alan on it for a while. Uh, therapy and church because I was able to be a living example of this book and uh, I would also say my experience has been learning about Alcoholics Anonymous because that's my home if AA is just a passing thing for you this won't interest you but you know in order to start understand what I belong to I need to know about what I belong to to be a member of good standing which meant I had to learn about our traditions and the tradition of Alcoholics Anonymous from our very humble beginnings you know when a stockbroker goes and pays a visit on a doctor not knowing what was about to happen and how they had nothing there was no where and when they just had them too and their lives depended on each other. And so I need to know about those things. What the first big book looked like. It was a big book. That's where I got the name from. And how the traditions came about. Why they come about to hold us together. Some of the things I need to be passing on to newcomers when I'm carrying this message in sponsorship. Because all the men I sponsor will go to, unless they know the traditions, I will take them through the traditions. I'm not a traditions guru, but I know my traditions. I see him getting violated in many, many places, but I'm not a group member, so I usually keep quiet. There's a fine line between being informed and being a cop in AA. But it's really important to know that stuff. And the value of a guy like Dr. Silkworth. And what Bill and Bob did and Bill Dotson and Clarence Snyder and some of those folks. So this is a sacred thing. And uh, Lastly, you know, we're in South Florida, and it's just a microcosm of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not really a good reflection of Alcoholics Anonymous because we're used to seeing a certain, you know, treatment centers coming in, bless their hearts, to AA meetings, and you go to some places in the Midwest and you don't see that. I'm dying to go to a meeting while I'm not the oldest guy in the room. <laughs> And we tend to think South Florida is AA as a whole, and it really isn't. You can get out and spread your wings and see meetings in different parts of the country and see this thing really working. And I will tell you, for me, I hold on to my chair a little bit tighter at night. Because once I think I have spirituality, once I think I have recovery, I have just lost it. Once I think I know my God, I don't have one. Once I think I know this book, I don't. So I hope to always stay teachable and uh, pass this message on with the same love and gratitude that you give it to me with.
a day at a time. And for that, I'm forever grateful. That's all I got, guys. Peace. <laughs>